0: You're listening to Time in the Word. The book of Galatians is called the Christian's Declaration of Independence. Paul teaches and clearly establishes the fact that the Christian is free from the curse and bondage of the law. After introducing himself, he powerfully argues the doctrine of justification by faith. Today, Dr. Gonzalez will be looking at the first five verses of Galatians chapter one. He will discuss Paul's mandate, mannerism, and message. Let us listen as Dr. Gonzalez begins his expository study of Paul's epistle to the Galatians. If you have your scriptures with you, please turn to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5 this morning. I'm going to read the text and then we'll start working our way through these verses. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Christ, by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. As I mentioned this morning, the book of Galatians has been called the Christian's Declaration of Independence. Paul teaches and clearly establishes the fact that Christian believers are free from the curse and the bondage of the law. So after introducing himself, he powerfully now begins to argue the doctrine of justification by faith alone. We understand why this was such an important epistle in the protestant reformation since the material cause of the protestant reformation was the very doctrine of justification by faith what is the gospel how is one saved was the central issue so paul starts in verse one by saying paul an apostle sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Notice that Paul begins this letter with a dogmatic declaration of his apostleship. He up front clearly states that he was an apostle. Important because as I mentioned this morning, these Judaizers were attempting to undermine the messenger by attacking his authority, thus with the goal of in undermining the message the messenger had brought. That word apostle means a sent one. And it carries the idea of a commissioned emissary or messenger. Paul became an apostle when he encountered himself the Lord Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road. We find that uh, recorded in Acts chapter 9. Paul, from that moment on, he preached the gospel pure and straight, just as it had been given to him. You remember that Paul was instructed by the Lord himself, And Paul was now teaching, preaching the very message as he himself had received it from the Lord himself. These are essentially not the words of Paul, but the words of God that were captured in the word of God by the pen of Paul. But it is the very word of God. He preached that Jesus Christ is the only one who can be a Savior. He preached faith in Christ apart from works. You have passages like Acts chapter 16 and verse 31, or the well-known Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9, where he is very clear that salvation is a gift of God and that works have nothing to do with our salvation, our redemption. But the legalists came in after Paul departed and began, and here's the danger, they began mixing law and grace. And those two, by definition, at least as it pertains to the doctrine of salvation, at least as it pertains to redemption, are incompatible. So they start mixing law and grace. They start mixing faith and works. These false teachers had convinced many of the Galatians that they could not be saved by faith alone. They'll never argue faith. Faith is a component but not by faith alone. And that's central to the gospel. And it was central to the Protestant Reformation. They don't deny that faith is necessary, but they do deny that faith alone can save. So they're, they're, they're telling the Galatians that they could not be saved by faith in Christ alone, but had to believe both in Christ and keep the law, to be saved, and to remain saved. I've tried that. Before I came to faith in Christ by the grace of God, we call that religion. Wow. Uh, Religion is a tricky thing. Because it seems to it seems to um, give you the perception that what you want can be attained, but experientially, you never do. And it's a never-ending cycle of trying to, but never getting there. That's what religion really is. Why? Because it is not the gospel. So the Galatians were reverting now from a gospel of pure grace of faith in Christ alone to a gospel that was blended with with with, with law and and faith that was blended with works. One of their methods of promoting the false doctrine was to obviously question Paul's apostleship and his authority by claiming essentially that he was not a genuine apostle. They figured that if they could question and discredit Paul's authority or his apostleship, they could cast doubt on his message. And, of course, that is the old philosophy, nothing new here. That is the old philosophy of attacking the messenger if you don't like the message. So from the very start of the epistle, Paul identifies himself as an apostle. And notice that he makes it clear that his apostleship is not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. So Paul wanted it clearly understood as he, as he begins this, this epistle to the, to the churches in Galatia, he wanted it clearly understood that he was God's apostle, He wasn't sent by men, and he uh, was God's man sent by God and no. Other. Now he does use two very common words in his epistles, in his opening words of this epistle. He says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's message is always comforting, not easy to listen to. Not always easy to apply, not always easy to you know, but it's always comforting. Because it comes with grace and it comes with peace. Or at least that's the ultimate fruit that we see born in us as we trust in the Word of God and apply it to our lives. So he starts out with grace and peace to you. And that greeting, again, is characteristic of Paul's uh, letters. And take note that both grace and peace are from... Who? God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he say that? Why just not say grace and peace? Because apart from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no such thing as grace and peace. They are the source of those two things. Grace is the thing that the world needs the most, and peace is that thing that she seeks the most, but never truly experiences. Because they never come to God by the means by which he requires us to. They try religion, however that may look. So let's look at grace a little bit before we get into some of the other uh, sections here. Grace, we know, a, a, a kind of a, a standard definition for grace is grace is God's unmerited favor toward us. It's God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It is God loving, God's loving favor to the unworthy if you're a recipient of grace, and this is the discussion that Mary and I were having last night and this morning, we use the word grace often. But the challenge we always face as Christians is that the power of the word often loses its true impact in our lives. Grace, grace is unmerited. I did not merit anything from God but His wrath. Grace is God's unmerited favor towards me. One unworthy of it. Grace is God's loving favor towards those of us who deserve His judgment. We looked at this passage already, which says, But God demonstrates His own love towards us. Listen, while we were still sinners. By the way, there would have never been a time in which he would have found us in any other state. There's never a time in which we would have never been sinners. While in your spiritual deadness, while in a state of inability to do anything at all, that would bring you actually closer to God. He had grace on you. And it says that while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Notice that in that passage in Romans 5.8. We are described as sinners. And we know from scriptures. That sinners Die for their sin. God declared in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20, "The soul who sins is the one who will what, die. Yet we won't. Think about that. That's grace. Death is the natural result of sin. You recall that James said in James 1.15, And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Not only are we sinners, but in our lost condition, we were enemies of God. Romans 5.10, when we were God's enemies... Part of what was natural to us in our sinful state was the fact that rather than ever seeking God, which we know none do, Romans chapter 3, right? We actually opposed God, though we never truly understood that we were doing such a thing. We were real enemies of God. And it is in that context, where sinners and enemies of God, alienated from God, that He extends to us grace. When we were hopeless, when we were helpless, God offered grace, and listen, He sent His Son to die for us. You start getting a flavor of what's at stake in the book of Galatians, don't you? As awful as sin is with all of its depravity and all of its destruction, it is no match for the grace of God. In fact, we're reminded in scriptures in Romans chapter 5 verse 20, where sin increased, what did Paul say? Graced Increased all the more. Listen, it's a wonderful thought that sin rendering me completely incapable of doing anything to be redeemed is never a match for the God who redeems that sinner, who can do nothing. That's what it is to be God. And that's what it is to be a gracious God. Then he says peace. Peace is the result of having experienced grace. See, when you experience grace, you can't not have but peace. Because now you understand that everything you did not have and could not gain is now yours by His grace. And here's a wonderful thing. I remember when, I used to, when Mary and I used to live in Florida, we used to go to Hollywood Bible Chapel. Uh, one of the elders of, of the chapel there was, was uh, getting older, and as he grew older, he started experiencing some you know mental issues you know he struggled with with uh, um, doubts and and he started raising questions about his own salvation uh you know that's probably natural with with age and and certainly uh we, we can see the devil leveraging that to you know further attack but w- one of the things that i that i you know in speaking to his wife as he explained to me some of the challenges that he was facing, one of the wonderful things was the certainty that regardless of what he was experiencing at the moment, the issue of his salvation had been settled once for all. He had experienced grace, and in his soul, maybe not in his mind that now was being challenged perhaps by age, In his soul, he had peace because one cannot not experience peace once we have experienced grace. And he could question his salvation all he wanted, but his salvation was never in question. It was settled once for all. So Paul says, listen, once you have experienced this type of grace and do what you can to understand what grace really is, peace naturally follows But also note that there could be no real or lasting peace without God's grace and mercy. So if one who is not a believer claims to have peace, what he has is something other than at least the biblically defined word peace. And it will never be lasting because it's not anchored in something that could keep it that way, which is the grace of God. So there's a false peace that this world searches for, but to no avail. Politicians and peace talks, though they may be a ceasefire, though there may be negotiations, whatever the world achieves towards what they define as peace never truly brings rest to the human soul. Because that's not really peace, as we speak of it in a divine sense. If you don't have peace this morning, if you don't have genuine peace in your soul this morning, is it possible that you've never experienced grace? That's a question you must answer for yourself. Where God's grace has not transformed the heart, there is no real peace. The world knows nothing of this kind of peace and joy. In fact, in Isaiah 48, 22, it says, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Says the Lord. Because the wicked has never been the recipient of God's grace, at least up to that point. Paul spoke of a peace... That only believers can experience. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, listen, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace. You see, Grace is always behind peace into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Will you say, how is it possible to experience peace in a wicked world? Well, Jesus answered that question when he said this in John sixteen thirty three: I have told you these things so that, and here's the key, In me, you may have what? Peace. You see, it doesn't matter what we are experiencing in the world, it doesn't even matter the degree of wickedness that surrounds us. Our peace is never a result of the circumstances of life, but in whom we find ourselves in. And by the grace of God, we find ourselves in Christ. That's the key. Now, for Paul, as we get into a little bit more of the meat of the message in in the remaining part of these verses, for Paul, it's not enough to reestablish the legitimacy of the gospel, which he wants to do that. But he has to go beyond establishing or re-establishing the legitimacy of the gospel. The question was now becoming, is the gospel adequate enough? Because any time there's an attack on the gospel of grace, the implication is that the gospel of grace is not adequate So, something must come alongside the gospel of grace to make it adequate. So, Paul is not only reestablishing the legitimacy of the gospel, but he is now declaring or defending the gospel's sufficiency. The gospel and the gospel alone can give you what the Judaizers are telling you law and grace faith and works will give you. It cannot by definition because it's not the gospel of Christ. So he's going after the sufficiency of the gospel. Paul now, uh, he knows he must demonstrate that the grace of God turned loose on a world through the death of Christ is more than able to meet all spiritual needs. And listen, you know, we, we, we study these passages, and we're talking about what Paul said to the Galatians, what Paul was attacking uh, or, or defending as a result of the attacks of the Judaizers to, to essential doctrines that had been presented to the church. Never forget that these words were written just as much for us. In our time as they were written to them in their time. Because the threats the church experiences today are no different than the threats that the church was experiencing back then. There are many, in fact I would argue, every other religion in the world has been declaring all along that the gospel of grace is not sufficient. You need what we added to it or you cannot be saved. You see, the essence of the gospel is still under threat and is still being challenged in the 21st century. So we need to learn well what he's saying because the defense we provide is the very same defense he provided. There's nothing for us to add. We simply repeat what he said. And we will say that grace is sufficient, that the gospel of grace is sufficient. After Paul leaves Galatia, the Galatians come under the influence of certain teachers who were promoting uh, the Jewish law as an effective way to advance spirituality. In addition, we can assume that the Galatians themselves were probably finding themselves somewhat comfortable or were found the Jewish law somewhat appealing to provide them the very things that they had. I mean, the experience the Galatians had is no different than the experience we have today. One of the, struggles, the, one of the things that the Galatians struggled with was the continuing presence of, of sin in their lives. Who of us doesn't experience that struggle today? And what the Judaizers were saying is, listen, if, if, if you do what we tell you to do, somehow you will be able to nip that problem in the bud. So it sounded somewhat appealing to the Galatians to try it. Paul is saying, no, no, no. First of all, sin never goes away truly for any of us. We still have that sinful nature. I mean, yes, sin should become the exception, not the norm. It's the anomaly the more we grow in Christ, but it's always there. Temptation is always there. And what is the thing that helps us ultimately overcome those things? We go back to the word grace. Because at the end of the day, it's what is sufficient. Do we realize we need to be rescued from the dominion of sin. Listen, when you think of it, sin is a lordless power. Sin is a godless force. Sin is not merely a one-time thing, an event, an action, Something that's over once you've done it. Instead, we all know from experience, sin has after effects. It lives on. And these after effects, in turn, affect us. That was in part the struggle of the Galatians. Now, the question becomes, at least the the issue Paul is going to tackle here is, is there a way to break free from this sin that so easily entangles us? And Paul's answer is a resounding yes, there is. But it's not the path of the law. Listen, it's the cross of Christ. Deliverance from sin and from, as he says in the second part of verse 4, the present evil age only comes one way. Indeed, grace itself comes only one way through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 4, Who gave himself for our sins... To deliver us from this present evil age. So, Paul now drives the Galatians and drives us back to this fundamental fact Christ gave Himself for our sins. Apart from the death of Christ, how would you explain the presence of grace? You can't. Grace is a reality for those of us who have experienced it because, Paul says, Christ gave himself for our sins. There is no such thing as grace apart. From the atonement it's the death of Christ alone that explains the presence of grace in our lives and the death of Christ alone opens the wellspring of salvation of sanctification of justification of glorification so he's telling us and he's telling the Galatians hold on You accepted the true gospel as it was delivered to you. You experienced its fruit, grace, and peace. Are you now going to be perfected apart from it? You can't. You're placing yourself back in bondage by attempting to become holy by means that will... By the very means that will prevent you from experiencing holiness. Who gave himself. I mean, this shows the willingness of Jesus to grow to the cross. He gave himself. He wasn't forced to the cross. He wasn't made to die. He gave himself. It shows the willingness of Jesus to go to the cross. If there is to be salvation there, then there must be an acceptable sacrifice. We know that to be a fact, for Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, what? There is no forgiveness or remission of sin. But not just any sacrifice would do. Only one would do. And the only one who could sacri- make a sacrifice that would truly propitiate the wrath of God and expiate our guilt is the one who gave himself. That, my friends, is the summit of the gospel. Jesus Christ gave himself as a sacrifice for the lost First Timothy 2, 5, and 6, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, listen, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. Again, he gave himself. Sacrifice speaks of death and blood. And it reminds us of the awful awful suffering and the shame that Christ endured to be our Savior. But He literally, in every sense of the word, gave Himself for us. Do we? Again, the the, the risk we always find ourselves in is that we read and things become, you know, they lose their sense of awe for us. Do you understand that when we read that phrase, He gave Himself, it literally explains to us the very reason for His coming to start with. I mean, the only reason Christ was incarnate, the only reason the Son left the glory of His glory was to come and give himself for you. There is no other gospel. There can't be any other gospel. This is what he came for. Like the sacrificial lamb of the Old Testament, Christ shed his blood for us. Paul was very clear in Romans that lost man could do nothing to satisfy the righteous demand, uh, demands of God. Listen to me. Divine justice could only be satisfied by a divine sacrifice. So he gave himself. Oh, that's grace. And that sacrifice came, that divine sacrifice came with a divine price. It took God the Son to have our sins imputed to him on the cross and there make an atonement, there make propitiation. There, listen, literally he took the wrath of God in our stead. A wrath that would have endured forever for us. And there he removes our guilt through expiation. It took a divine sacrifice at a divine cost to redeem you. And notice that he says, for our sins. This shows the purpose of the cross. The reason Christ gave himself away was for our sins. Listen. A transaction took place at the cross. We were the ones who deserved to die. Because we owe God an infinite debt for our sins. But Christ took our place on the cross. He became our substitute. He became our sin offering. He gathered up all of our sin. The sin was placed on His shoulders and He paid for them with his life. Thus the crucifixion of Christ was not merely an example of supreme sacrifice, but an actual atonement for sin. A transaction took place at the cross. It enabled God to forgive us by satisfying his pure justice through the death of his son how can I possibly think I can contribute at all to my salvation if I am dead in my sins and trespasses and let me just close with the final phrase here to rescue us or to deliver us from the present evil age that Shows the effect of the cross. Notice that the whole world is described as evil. John said in John, 1 John 5.19. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. He is called in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, the God of this age. It is driven by wickedness. It runs contrary to the laws and nature of God and is at enmity with Him, the present evil age. Lost man is a natural product of the world. Apart from this world system, the only hope man has is in Christ Himself, who came. To die and to deliver us from the present evil age. And notice that the very last part of verse 4 says, according to the will of our God and Father. I mean, I'm running out of time, so I'm just cherry picking a word here and there. All this, his coming, his dying, my deliverance, grace, peace, all according to the will of God. God willed my salvation. And it became a reality because of the supreme sacrifice the Son made in order to make that a reality in my life. I have no idea, folks. I know I can read it, but I have no idea What it is that I have been spared from. And I will never know. But Christ knows. That's grace. And that's why I can have peace. And then we won't touch on it. Other than to say verse 5. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Why? To whom we glory forever and ever, amen. Because it is He and He alone who has wrought our salvation. We can never say, but I did this. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, thus, soli deo.